Welcome, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Pastor Jason, and I'm going to serve as your host today as we worship together in this online format. We are so glad that you've gathered with us, that you've joined in. Wherever you're at, whatever time of the day it is, we are glad you're here. We're glad that we can worship today. As we get ready to worship, we'd love for you to fill out the connection card. We'd love to know that you're here. We'd love to know if there's some way we could pray with you. And if you're a first-timer, we'd love to send you a gift. We've got a digital gift card to Starbucks, and now is the season because they've got some of the best drinks. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't give them free advertising, but it's pretty awesome. So fill out the gift card. You're going to be pleased that you did. Now, there's a few things happening around Schweitzer and around Southwest Missouri and around where you're at that we'd love to put in front of you. Coming up on Monday, September 28th, if you're local to Springfield, local to Southwest Missouri, we'd love for you to drop by for the Diaper Dash. The staff is going to be here. They're going to be present. If you just pick up a few diapers, drop by the church parking lot from 6 to 7.30. There's going to be Andy's. There'll be a few games happening if you want to get out and socialize with some folks. It's going to be great. We'd love to see you at the Diaper Dash. Then Tuesday, September 29th, is the last day to sign up for the Christian Community Development Association CCDA Collective Experience. Normally, CCDA, the CCDA conference is something that we go to, but this year it's all virtual. It's a great way to learn about how we can take the good things of God and God's renewing and rejuvenating experience and put them into action in our local communities. This year we're going to be hosting an experience local at Schweitzer, October 1 to 3. If you'd like to be involved, go to sumc.co and you can always learn more. The last thing I want to talk to you about is the Colossians Field Guide book. We had so many printed and then you responded greatly and we ran out, but we've ordered some more. If you don't have a, a copy of the field guide, you can stop by the church office. If you're in Springfield, if you're not, you can call the church office and we've got some folks that would love to send you a copy. We appreciate your $10 donation that helps cover the cost of those. It is a great resource, some great enriching writing as we grow deeper in Christ. We're so glad that we have this opportunity to, to study Colossians together. Hope you pick up your book today. We're so glad you joined us today. We'd love for you to engage with us. You can do that in the chat window. You can do that by hitting the prayer button. Let us know that you're here. Now, let's get ready to worship. Great. 
come to a time of prayer today, there are all kinds of things that are on our hearts and minds, uh, things that we want to talk to the Lord about, things where we need God's help, God's wisdom, God's intervention in our life. At the start of our prayer time, I'd like to invite us together to pray for those people who are charged with being leaders at this time in our own lives, leaders in our communities, leaders in our nation, especially think about those who are challenged to lead in business and challenged to lead in in places of education and challenged to lead in places of healthcare. These are some tremendous times with great questions and we need the Lord to be out in front leading us. And so would you pray with me for God's leading of those who are leading the rest of us? Let's pray together for leaders.
The second place I'd like to invite you to pray with me today is for those who are researching and working deeply in the medical field, looking for a cure for COVID or for a vaccine. We know that throughout the pages of scripture, God defines himself as the God who heals us. And we really stand in a place where we need the Lord to work a miracle, bring about a miracle, bring about the good gifts that he's placed within people in this world to lead us to a cure. So I'd like to invite you to pray with me for God's healing, for God's miraculous breakthrough, for those who are searching and researching a cure to COVID. Let's pray together. Next, I'd like to invite you to pray a prayer that's within the field guide to Colossians. It's called the Breastplate Prayer, and it's a a prayer that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It's a prayer that reminds us that Jesus is with us at every moment of the day, to our right and to our left, before and who comes after us. It's a prayer that reminds us that Jesus is ever with us, and he's open to hearing us. And so when we enter into prayer, he's here with us. So I'd like to pray this prayer with you, for us. And then I'd like to encourage you that throughout this week, you would find a way to have this prayer in front of you, reminding you in the midst of all the other things that you pray for, that Christ is always with us. Here's the prayer. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ to protect me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come abundance and reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ where I lie, Christ where I sit, Christ where I arise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Kind Father, we give you thanks that you are surrounding us. We give you thanks that you have sent Jesus into this world to be our Savior and to teach us everything about you in the Spirit. And he taught us how to pray. Together with one voice, we say the prayer Jesus taught us as we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Your generosity makes all kinds of ministry happen. Recently, a number of our food pantry volunteers packed backpacks that go to a local school, Pittman Elementary, And those backpacks go home with kids on the weekend, help provide food for themselves and their families. Uh, This ministry is made possible because of people like you who are generous with the gifts that God has given to you. We wanna say thank you for your generosity. We also wanna say that the food pantry is a great way to connect with the community and to extend acts of service and kindness and blessing. 
to our world. The food pantry operates here at Schweitzer on Tuesday and Wednesday from nine to two. If you're looking for a place to serve, go to sumc.co. Thank you so much for your generosity, for your faithful giving. Let's continue our worship.
this year we have been hearing stories about God who is at work in your life. Today we're going to hear a great story from Nicole Colonna. Let's join in and listen and watch Nicole Colonna. So uh, my husband and I, we um, decided that we were going to try to start a family. We had been married about two years, and the process actually ended up taking us five years. Um, I had infertility issues, and so we were um, referred to Kansas City, the Reproductive Recovery Center, and at that point, we were going to do IVF, which is in vitro fertilization. Um, the first try, um, they implanted the fertilized egg and everything seemed to be going okay. And when we went for our five week checkup, um, we found out that the egg had attached to my right fallopian tube. We ended up going to the emergency room here in Springfield at St. John's Hospital. And uh, Dr. Kratz was the doctor that was on call. And he had to go in and operate and remove my right fallopian tube. And when he got in, he found out that um, I had progressed to the point that it was about to burst. And if it had burst before he operated, Will would have lost me and the baby. And so we got there just in time. Having lost the baby at not being able to give Will a baby, Will was dealing with all of this on his own and I was trying not to put more pressure on him because um, I just didn't feel like that was right because we were both grieving. So we went back to um, the reproductive clinic and every day after they fertilized the eggs, they would call me on the phone and they would say, Miss Colonna, you have four eggs that have divided and are ready to be implanted. And we had five days until implanting. And every day they called me back and you have three eggs left and you have two eggs left. And the day that we arrived in Kansas City, um, the doctor said, we only have one egg, but it's dividing, it looks great, we're going to implant it. And I remember looking at Will and saying, we only need one egg. And Will said, yeah, we only need one egg. And the one egg took, and we didn't tell anybody until after the first trimester was passed. And at that point, we felt pretty comfortable, but still leery um, that we had a baby on the way. And now, 12 years later, we have this beautiful little girl named Ainsley. But if it wasn't for Stephen Ministry and the people that God put in my life, I would have never made it out of the depression into the point of getting to be a mother. And I just want other women to know that you're not alone. God's there and I'm here. And if your husband needs it, my husband's there too. 
My name is Nicole Colonna, and this is just the beginning of my story. Friends, welcome this morning. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor. And today is part three of our series, Jesus is Greater. We're spending eight weeks reading uh, through the book of uh, Colossians in the New Testament, just going line by line through this book as we learn uh, in eight different ways through these eight weeks how Jesus is greater than, than absolutely everything and anything. Because that's the theme of Colossians, that, that Jesus is greater. And so we're just seeing this played out as we read through um, this book. And I hope you're also tracking along with us with our field guide that we've created, has daily uh, Bible readings, daily devotional readings, as well as a small group discussion questions. And what I love about this field guide is that there are going to be some of us who for the very first time in our lives decide to read the Bible on a daily basis. And then there's going to be others of us who for the first time in a long time start to read the Bible. And there's others of us who do this every day anyways, and they're going to be reading the Bible with us. And I just, I just love that all together, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what your faith looks like or your practices and faith have looked like, we can join together in studying God's Word. And it's just, I, I, I love that we can do that together. Today, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week because this is line by line as we're reading through Colossians. And uh, we're going to start in Colossians 1, verse 24. And I'm so excited for this because this is some of the most encouraging writing that's in the entire Bible we're going to read today. And I'm so excited to share this with you because it's just so encouraging. And sometimes we just need some words of encouragement. So uh, Colossians chapter 1, picking up right where we left off, verse 24. Here's how it goes. Paul writes this. He says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. And I want you to catch this word that we just read here, suffering. Paul, who wrote this letter, is suffering. Why is Paul suffering? Well, Paul is writing this letter um, uh, from, from prison. Colossians, along with uh, several other New Testament letters, letters like Ephesians, Philippians, for instance, are are called prison epistles, meaning prison letters. These are letters that Paul writes from prison. And Paul is in prison uh, because of this message of Jesus, this message that Jesus, who is crucified by the Romans, that he's alive again, that he is the king of all because of his his death and resurrection, that he's defeated death. And so therefore he is Lord of all. And this message that Paul has been preaching across the Greek and Roman world has has caused all kinds of disruption. and, and, And the Romans, uh, are threatened by this message because if Paul says that Jesus is Lord, that means that Caesar is not Lord and, and there can't be anyone who compares with Caesar. And Paul's like, no, 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 Jesus, he is so much greater than Caesar. He is Lord of all. And this message of Paul, it, it, it has caused him to be arrested and uh, he's in prison. He's writing these words from prison. And, and tradition tells us that around the year 64 or maybe 65 AD, that Paul will be executed um, in Rome because of this, this witness that he has um, um, for Jesus. And, and, and yet from prison, with all of this going on in the background, he writes this letter to these, these folks, um, this Colossian letter, and, and he writes about the greatness of Jesus, even with all of this stuff going on in the background. So we keep reading here. Uh, verse uh, 25, Paul says, I have become its, that is the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Verse 26, The mystery, and pay attention to that word mystery. We're going to see it several more times here. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed in the Lord's people. And so Paul's like, yeah, I'm in prison. I am. This is what's going on with me. But, but I am sharing with you the word of God in its fullness. So yeah, I'm in prison. This is what's happening to me. But I want to, I want to share with you the fullness of the word of God, the word of God in its fullness. And I, and I love that phrase that we read there, the word of God in its fullness, because it reminds me that sometimes, maybe maybe just sometimes, 
um, we look at the Word of God not in its fullness, but with limitations. Because that's what we do. That's human nature. Human nature is to draw lines around uh, what is possible and what is impossible, what, what we can accomplish and what we can't accomplish, what we can do and what we can't do. It's human nature to, to draw lines around this and to have um, a, a, a worldview of, of limitation. This is, this is why when we see people who do things that break limits, they're so inspiring to us because Many of us, most of us, have a worldview of, of what is possible and impossible. We draw these lines, what we can and cannot do. And when we see someone who breaks through limits, it's, a, it's amazing to us. And so we put up posters of athletes who have broken through limits or we watch movies of people who break barriers because it's so inspiring to us because most of us have a, a worldview of limitation. And, and then we come across the gospel, and the gospel is this message of, of the miraculous, of the impossible, of how God has, has, in the flesh has come to save us, and he's, he's defeated death, and it's all about what's, what's impossible, and it doesn't fit within our, in our boxes of what's possible and impossible, this worldview of limitation. And, and what happens, though, is that when we have a worldview of limitation, and we come across the gospel, a lot of times what we do is we take this worldview of limitation and we begin to apply it to the gospel. So the gospel becomes limited and what God wants to do in our life is, is lessened because, because we have a worldview of limitation. A few years ago, I remember I preached this sermon on forgiveness. And it was one of those sermons that I was like really not very happy with. I didn't think it was very good. And it's one of those sermons I walked away on Sunday morning. I was like, man, that that just did not go where I thought it was going to go. And I got an email later uh, in the week and there's this woman in the church. She wanted to get together and she wanted to talk about the sermon because it was was challenging to her. And I I was like, really, that that sermon? You want to talk about that sermon? That sermon challenged you? Okay, let's let's get together and talk. So we got together and talked and, and she wanted to talk about how the sermon on forgiveness had challenged her that she needs to forgive her father. And so she started to tell me about what was going on with her dad and years of resentment that had been built up from how he had mistreated her and, and, um, and all of this, this struggle and, and, and heartache and resentment that she had. And finally, I, I just said to her, I said, you know, you are going to be stuck personally until you forgive your dad. Whether or not he asks for forgiveness or not, you are going to be stuck in your life until you can forgive him. And, and I remember what she said to me. She looked at me and she said, I just don't know that I can. And that line there, I just don't know that I can, is a line that I have heard from so many people in my work as a pastor. I just don't know that I can. I just, I just don't know if I can forgive my dad. I just, I just don't know if I can stop drinking. I just, I just don't know if I can stop looking at porn. I just don't, I don't know if I can stop being angry. I just, I just, I, I don't know if I can, if I can stop talking about people like that. I, I, I don't, I don't think I can. I don't, I don't think I can start tithing. I don't think I can start that small group or start volunteering with the, without those folks. I, I don't think I can do these things. Like, I, I, I don't think I can do this. This is a worldview of, of limitation. It's based on what I can do and what I've accomplished and what I'm able to do. And, and we quickly draw these lines around what we can do and what we can't do. And, and, we're, and we're forgetting that, that we are belonging to the one who defeated death, the one who has miraculously come alive and who's invited us into a relationship with him. And so Paul's like, this, here's this, this worldview of limitations. Like, hey, 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 listen up, listen up. 
you belong to the God of the empty grave. You belong to the one who, who parted the waters. Like you belong to him. And so you may have these gospel, this, this worldview of limitation. You may think about what you can and cannot do. But, but let's start to dream about what the God of the miraculous can do, the word of God in its fullness. Let's start to dream about what he can do in your life. Let's start to dream about what he can do in your family. Let's start to dream about what he can do in our church. Let's start to dream about what he can do in our world because it's, it's, it's not you. It's, it's him. And, and so we come across him in this worldview of limitation. It gets, it gets blown up because now we're talking in whole new categories. And Paul's like, I want to share with you the word of God in its fullness. Let's take the lid off our faith. Let's erase the boundaries that we've created. And let's start to dream about what he can do in our life. And so we keep reading here. Verse 27, Paul writes, he says, to them, that is to the church, to, to those who belong to Jesus, to you, to them, it says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, and here is, is just everyone in the world. God has chosen to make known among the, the Gentiles, the whole world, because the gospel's for everyone, the whole world, the glorious riches of this mystery. And there's that word again, we've now read it in back-to-back verses, this mystery. And then he says, here's the mystery, here it is. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you're reading from your Bibles, you need to underline that word, that, that phrase there, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Such a famous, powerful word phrase there, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Remember, it's the word of God in its fullness and now it's fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea, which is another nearby city, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full, again, that word, full riches of complete understanding in order they may know the mystery. One more time, we've read this word mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, and why is Paul absent from us in body? Because he's in prison. I'm absent you in body. I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And so three times through this, we read this really fascinating word, this, this word describing the gospel, this word mystery. Three times we read this word mystery, and, and specifically this mystery uh, that we have in Christ. Paul lays it out in verse 27, what this mystery is, and he describes it as this. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery that we have in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is a very Paul kind of thing to say. Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. And in those 13 letters, 164 different times, Paul writes in a very, very, very similar way as Christ in you, the hope of glory. 164 times, Paul uses a very similar phrase. Let me give you a few examples of this this similar phrase he uses different places. This is Ephesians 1. Paul writes, For he chose us in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. 2 Timothy chapter 1. He has saved us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace that was given us 
in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I quote this one to you all the time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And so 164 times in 13 letters that we have from Paul, he uses this phrase, in Christ or in him or in the Lord, to describe the person who belongs to Jesus, the person whose faith is in Jesus, the person who, who is saved or born again, however does he say this, 164 times, Paul will describe that person as being in Christ, which is a very similar way of talking as, as when we say Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because you see, for Paul, there is this consistent understanding in the Bible, that when someone belongs to Jesus, their faith is in him, they trust in him, they're saved, they're born again, whatever, however does you describe that, that when someone is, belongs to Jesus, that they are in Christ and that Christ is in them. This is how Paul understands how the gospel works, that Christ is in you and that you are in Christ. And so 164 times in the Bible, he will use this phrase, in Christ, to describe that person who belongs to Jesus, which is interesting to me because that's not how you and I normally talk. Like, like you don't normally use the word in Christ to describe somebody who belongs to Jesus. Like, that's not how you and I normally talk because that, that's kind of that's kind of weird. Like normal people don't talk like that. Weird people kind of talk like that. Normal people don't talk like this. You don't normally say to somebody like, hey, do you know my friend Bill? He's in Christ. No, you don't, you don't talk like that. No one does. But that's how Paul does. We use different words to describe this person who belongs to Jesus. Uh, dif different words. We use words like, I don't know, Christian to describe this person. Or, or we use words like um, believer maybe to describe this person. Or, or, or if you're really, really spiritual, you might use the word like, this phrase like a follower of Jesus. And that's maybe how you would describe this person who belongs to Christ. But the word Paul uses is, is in Christ. And what's so fascinating to me is, is if, you, if you look at the big picture and, and back this up a little bit, and you start to think about what do the words imply about this person who belongs to Jesus with, with the words we use? For instance, what does the word Christian imply? Well, once upon a time, the word Christian meant someone who imitated Christ, but the way we normally use it today, the word Christian is simply somebody who has a certain uh, religious identity, that they identify uh, religiously with Christianity. Or I think about the word uh, believer that you might use to describe someone. A believer, a believer is, is somebody who, who has certain theology, it's a certain doctrine that they believe in, certain set of belief that they have, and so therefore it's, it's mostly about what happens in your head. Or I think about this phrase, follower of Jesus, that you might use. And what does that word, that phrase imply, follower of Jesus? Well, it's somebody who's trying to live the teachings of Jesus, forgiveness and love and compassion, those kinds of things. And, and so therefore, to belong to Jesus is mostly about behavior. It's about morality. And so I start to look at this big picture about what do these words imply, I realize that these words imply something different than how Paul uses the same description of these folks when he describes them as in Christ. Because to be in Christ, it, it implies something different than religious identity. It implies something different than what you think and how you go about your head or, or what, what doctrines you believe. Or if you describe someone in Christ, it it implies something different than, than uh, the moral behavior you have. There's, there's something different to all of that that, that he's describing. And, and, if you, and if you think about it, these words that we use with you know, Christian or believer or, or uh, follower of Jesus, these, these words are all somewhat rooted in a worldview of limitation. Because for me to think about belonging to Jesus mostly as a religious identity or mostly about what I think or mostly about you know, what I do, it's, it's mostly about me. But Paul talks about us when we belong to Jesus, not about what we do, but how we belong to him. 
that we belong in Him and that He belongs in us. And, and, and this is much more in line with how, with how Jesus describes us and how Jesus' vision for us was. I mean, if you think about how Jesus describes us, I think about things like John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. I want you to catch this. Jesus' vision for us is that we are like a branch and he is like a vine and that we as the branch belong to the vine. We're not separate from the vine. We don't just identify with the vine. We don't just believe in the vine. We, we, don't just, we don't do certain things in order to be connected to the vine. We are just simply part of the vine. And as the branch, we receive from the vine all that we need. As the branch, we receive protection and, and we receive nourishment. We receive what we need to be grounded. We receive from the, from the vine all that we need. And, and, and the branch, therefore, is just part of the vine. And we're part of what it is that, that, that God is doing. This is, this is how this, this image works, that, that we uh, belong to him, that we are part of the vine, that we are made to be in him and he is in us and this is the image here so just as the vine is part of the branch so you are part of christ and and christ is in you this is this is this way of thinking that paul has for us this great mystery one of the theologians i read often N.T. Wright, he describes this connection to christ that we have when we belong to christ and christ is in us and we are in christ and he describes it like this and i, I find this so profound N.T. Wright writes that to be in Christ, this phrase that Paul uses, here's what it means. It means that he, that is God, regards the people of God and the Messiah of God as so bound up together that what was true of the one was true of the other. Let me read that to you one more time. That he, that is God, regards the people of God and the Messiah of God as so bound up together that what was true of the one was true of the other. What's true of the vine is going to be true of the branch. What's true of Christ is going to be true of you. If Christ is in you and you are in Christ, it's not just that you identify as a Christian. It's not that you just believe certain things. It's not that you have certain moral behaviors. Rather, it is that the life of Jesus is actually filling you. And what is true of Jesus is going to become true of you. And so if Jesus is full of things like love and joy and peace, if Jesus is full of compassion and mercy, if, if Jesus is full of God's power, then what this means is that what is true of Jesus is going to be true of you, that you are going to be full of joy and love and peace and mercy and compassion and God's power, that this is what's going to fill your life because you belong to him. He is in you and you are in him. This is the mystery that Paul is describing to us, that, that we are made to be in him and that he is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, means that what is true of Jesus is going to become true of you because you belong to him, you are in him, and he is in you. This is the mystery of the good news that we have in Jesus. Now let's take this one step further. And I want you to think about this. Where was Paul when he wrote this great mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory? 
Where was Paul when he talked about the word of God in its fullness? Where was Paul when he wrote these incredibly encouraging words about this mystery of the gospel? Where was he when he wrote these things? Oh yeah, he was in prison. He wrote these things from prison. And and I bring this up because sometimes when we hear these promises of the Bible and we hear these blessings of God that come into our life, we, we hear them and we're like, wow, that's nice. Oh, that's, that's comforting. But what about real life? Right? What, what about real life? When, when real life happens? What do you do with these promises when, when real life starts to take place? When, when, when you start to struggle in your marriage? What about the promises then? When, when someone you love is struggling through addiction? You know, what's true of these promises then? When, when, when uh, you find yourself having money trouble and, and you're stressed out about your finances? What, what about those promises then? Because we're kind of like, we like to think that these promises are true and good and, and they're right when your life is right. But here's somebody who is suffering. That is the word he used, his word, not mine. He is suffering. He is in prison. And yet he is still writing about these promises of God, how Christ is in you, how you belong in him. And and he writes this even in the midst of struggle and pain and suffering and disappointment, because here's what is true. Jesus is greater than your circumstances. Jesus is greater than what's happening in your life. The promises of God are true no matter what your life may look like. The promises of God are for you in every circumstance of your life. And if that's true, then here's what we have to start doing. We gotta erase the limitations that we create. We gotta open the lid of the box of our faith and we've gotta start expecting expecting that the life of Jesus is going to fill us. We have to start to expect that the power of God is is a reality in our life. We have to start to expect that the love of Jesus can actually fill our lives. We have to start to expect that, that, that forgiveness and mercy and peace and compassion are going to be a way that we actually live. We have to start to expect that our life is going to change. We have to actually start to expect that Jesus wants to use you in a significant way in this world. You should expect that uh, you're going to, life is going to be filled with meaning and purpose because of him. You have to start to expect that the life of Jesus, no matter what your circumstances look like, is going to fill you because he is in you and you are in him. And what is true of him is going to become true of you. This is the promise and the mystery of the gospel that he is in you. And this is the hope of glory. And so friends, I know that some of us today, we we might be facing some impossible circumstances, stress, worry, grief, all kinds of things. But I want to remind you and be encouraged of the greatness of Jesus. This mystery of the gospel that he is in you and that you are in him. And no matter what you might face, this is true. When you belong to Jesus, the life of Jesus is going to fill you. This is what we can come to expect. Let's pray. And so, Father, today, we thank you for the promises of the gospel that are bigger than our circumstances. They're bigger than what's happening to us. They are true no matter if we feel like they're true or not. We want to remember them and and be encouraged today of what you have for us. That the life of Jesus is what you want to give to us. That we exist in you as a vine exists in the branch. 
that what is true of the vine is gonna be true of the branch because we belong to you. This is not just religious identity. This is not just theology and what we think. This is not just what we believe or how we behave and our morality. This is deeper than those things. This is about a dynamic personal relationship with you where we come to depend and rely and experience you in our life. For any of my friends here who are this morning who might be stuck, may today be a voice of encouragement for them. For anyone who, 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 who hasn't embraced this promise to begin with in their life for the very first time, maybe today is a day where they can uh, just simply pray that you might fill their life. Lord, would you fill my life? Would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead me that I can experience what you have for me? God, I thank you for the promises of God that are always, always true. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Well, friends, it's been good to join together today and, and explore these promises of the mystery of the gospel, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. If this has been helpful for you, I encourage you to share this with your friends, your family, and help us share the good news of Jesus with others. Next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating communion both in person and online. So if you'd like to receive a communion packet, you can do so by contacting the church office. Otherwise, you should have supplies ready for your house so that you can partake with us next week. Can't wait to share this with you next Sunday.